Hey all, good to be back. I'm just a pinch hitter, actually. I know Pastor Ken travels a lot, so I'm just here to, you know, support him. And I know he's flying out tonight. I am too, but I know he's going far, farther away. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, glad to be back here. Everyone's okay, right? No coronavirus, no one here, right? All right, that's good. All right. Well, this morning, I mean, this afternoon, i um, just like to begin with... Um, passage from 1 Peter. So if you walked in, you'll probably receive this uh, sheet that has front and back. And I try to do every time I speak now, okay, I'm going to commit to at least 10 minutes of, okay, kind of soaking in with what scripture is saying. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to give you a little background of the passage we're going to listen Today's uh, message, I titled it as uh, Blessings of New Birth, okay, from 1 Peter. Uh, it's a short book, but just giving, giving you a little background of what was happening when Peter wrote this, just giving as a summary of the whole entire 1 Peter, uh, which is a short book. It's really about Peter offering hope to those who are being persecuted for their faith, all right? So early church, they were going through some persecution. And also, at the same time, guiding them with some practical instruction to how to live in the midst of, once again, suffering, in the midst of persecution that would be consistent with, you know, what it means to be followers of Christ. So if you listen to First Peter, it's really about, okay, they're living in this era where facing persecution, for a few reasons, they were facing persecution. If you, if you, history, you know that uh, there was a big fire in Rome. They called it the Great Fire Rome, 64 AD. Uh, now, I'm, I'm not saying that this is the cause of what started the persecution, because persecution was already there. But this passage happens to be during that era, right? where Nero, uh, the, the entire Rome was destroyed, 64 AD, because of big fire. I mean, we know what it means to have fire every year. It's like annual event now, right? I live in Santa Clarita, like every October, November, okay, we're going to hear news about fire. Now it's spreading all over. This year, there was Fullerton, Brea, Westwood. I mean, but Rome was completely, not completely, about 70% of Rome was dis destroyed. Out of 14 districts, 10 of them were destroyed. I mean, Rome, imagine, is probably at that time, this capital of the world, probably not as big as L.A., but it was one of the biggest cities in the world at that time, but almost destroyed. So people began to accuse Nero. Nero was the one who may be responsible for this fire, uh, because one, we know that Nero is a unique guy. He loves party. Uh, so uh, maybe they were having, you know, some party and fire just, you know, out of control. Or Nero had an ambition to destroy Rome to rebuild it. Apparently, actually, 68 AD, Nero commits suicide. The only emperor that commits suicide, interestingly. So we don't know, okay, exactly what caused the fire, but when the blame was pointing at Nero, Nero thought, okay, thought of creative idea to blame someone else. It's those Christians, because Christians were a bit of a weird group of people. It had been about 30 to 40 years after Jesus has ascended to heaven. Imagine 30 to 40 years before Jesus walked around, did ministry, and he died on the cross, and then he was resurrected. So 30 years passed by, so Christianity spread different parts, but it's not like there was a major explosion of Christianity. Slowly, Christianity grew, and uh, people thought these people who call Christians are a weird group of people. One, because they call each other brothers and sisters, which didn't make sense. I mean, unless you're born of same father, same mother, you're not brother, but Christians would call each other brothers and sisters. And in fact, they live in community. Acts chapter 2, we hear, we hear stories of Christians selling their own possessions and living together as a community, doing the good work, sharing the word. So one, they were calling each other brothers and sisters, which is unique. Number two, they talked about 
when they have this thing called communion, breaking bread, right? But they say it as if it's like they're eating the body of Christ and also drinking Christ's blood. Does that make sense? I mean, if you didn't know anything about this Christianity, you'll think, what? Jesus is gone, but they're eating Jesus' body and drinking his blood every time they meet? So they thought that this group of Christians were a real group of people. And during ancient times when natural disaster happened, they liked to blame someone, right? So we hear stories of offering babies as a sacrifice to appease God who's angry when there's a natural disaster. So when there's a big disaster happen, they like to blame someone. So really, there's one of the theories. The reason why Christians were being persecuted were not only they were a unique group of people, but once again, the Nero really began bigger amount of persecution to occur. Now, that doesn't mean every Christians were persecuted. Not until third century. The persecution was a bit more localized, sporadic, meaning it wasn't statewide persecution until later, yeah, third century, then it became statewide persecution. But this time, uh, we don't know exactly when First Peter was written. Probably people believe it's end of 68 or as late as actually beginning of 80 AD. But persecution was happening for some reason, and Peter writes to these um, Christians facing persecution. Not that they were arrested and prison, put into prison. No, it wasn't that. But they might have bosses. They don't like you, right, if you're a Christian. They might have neighbors. They think you're weird. Or even to this state, in like place like Pakistan, it happens if you're growing up in a Christian home. A lot, a lot of I mean, Christians are poor in certain regions, intentionally. So if you're, if you're like 15, 16 years old, and as, as a girl, teenager, you get to work as a maid for someone. And if you happen to have, especially someone who's not Christian, we know it happens in Pakistan all the time, you know, you have, you work at a household of Muslim family, and then sometimes, not all Muslims are bad, they're good people too, but you would have someone who would abuse you sexually. And Legally, they cannot do anything about it. Imagine, right? So it, it was kind of localized persecution happened and it was getting, you know, bigger and bigger, more intense. So Christians gathered their bags and packed up and they escaped whichever where they were living. So they were spreading into what's called Asia Minor. Uh, today's like Turkey, in the caves, wilderness, that they were hiding. They were living in fear because they don't know what's going to happen to them. Okay? It was a very uncertain time. Not that it was widely persecuted, but still, if you lived in certain towns, certain village, then you don't know what. You just had to pack up and leave. So to this group of people, Peter writes, especially about hope that we have as followers of Christ. So what we're going to do is we're going to listen with that background, listen to chapter 1, 2, 3. It's only like 10 minutes, right? Not that bad, right? Can we try it? So 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, 2, 3. And if you notice, there's a variety of themes that come out. But once again, Peter is saying, we have the new king, all right? We have the hope, and we live differently. Now, persecution, so he's writing to everyone, including then how Christians to live differently than pagans, how they deal with their masters, how Christians live differently in homes, between relationship with husband and wife. So all this is, once again, living as chosen people. Chapter 2, he talks about that. You are chosen people, royal priesthood, right? So you've heard that term many times. But let's pray and listen to Scripture together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for today. Thank you that you invited us to your presence. So we welcome you here. Uh, Lord, we ask that you'll help us to remove all the distraction that's in our mind. Help us to empty our hearts and uh, help us to focus on what we are about to uh, hear, Lord. Speak to us, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
From Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what, or what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. 
but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. With meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, 
that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Amen. Well, that wasn't too bad. Um, I know there's a lot of stuff in it, actually. If we try to meditate and analyze, a lot of questions, too. I mean, talking about government, do we really submit to government that is evil? Uh, do we submit to master that abuse you? A lot of questions, right? Even husband-wife relationship, you know. But I want to focus on beginning part of chapter one, actually, uh, because it's really the background as to uh, what Peter was saying is what do we do? How do we live our lives, especially in the world? Now, we don't live in a world where you're being persecuted, do you? No one's going to spit at you because you're a Christian, right? No one's going to fire you. You could sue back, you know, sue your boss if they do that. But still, what is it Peter's saying? There's something about, okay, in this world, as followers of Christ, we live in what's called upside-down world. The world, world works in a certain way, but for followers of Christ, we live in another kingdom. So there's a kingdom values, right? So even last time I talked about, once again, Matthew chapter 14, I don't want to go into that, but still, we live in this upside-down world, and in some way, God uses us as agents of hope. And that's the very word I want to focus on as we, once again, reflect this passage, chapter, I mean, chapter 1, verse 3, it kind of jumps out, you know, from the very beginning. You know, Peter's saying, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. Now, who is he writing to? People who have lost everything. They just packed up and they, they left everything because in fear and uncertainty, they have left all their inheritance. But Peter talks about once again, a new inheritance, and he goes on. But I like to focus on two words, actually, just jumps out in verse 3. According to his great mercy, you know, ESV, English uh, Standard Version, translates a little differently. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. I will focus on the word born again there. Or NIV says, in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope. Let's focus on the word born again. Literally, it means not just being born again, but it's really born from above. Uh, one of the first persons who used it was Jesus. When Jesus was encountered by this guy named Nicodemus, Nicodemus was a pretty well-known figure during that time. He was the most respected guy, very moral person, very rich, and very... Highly educated, so anything, I mean, if you, if you have a daughter, you would want your daughter to marry Nicodemus. But he is, okay, he's a jackpot. You want this kind of guy because, one, he's clean, he's, he's good, right? He's, he's God-fearing man, religious, very religious. But somehow Nicodemus finds Jesus late at night, approaches Jesus, and Jesus tells Nicodemus this about this kingdom, but truly, truly, he, Jesus is twice, truly, truly, I say to you, you must be born again, even to see the kingdom of God. And he says it again, truly, truly, I say to you, you must be born again, 
if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So Nicodemus never heard this before. But I think we kind of understand in a way, oh, Jesus taught him about kingdom, right? For Jesus to tell Nicodemus, you must be born again, you know, it's not a very courteous statement he was making to Nicodemus. Once again, who was Nicodemus? Very respected, very religious person. For Jesus to tell Nicodemus, you must be born again. I don't know how to say it in English. I know how to say it in Korean. He would say, 당신도 안 돼. Even you are not good enough. Who was Nicodemus? He was, once again, everyone thought that he's godly man, but for Jesus to tell Nicodemus, no one's good enough. So one must be born again. You know what? In that, Christianity is not about making a commitment. Christianity is not trying to live a better life or trying harder. Christianity begins with what? In his great mercy, not because of our effort, not because we can, in his God's, in God's mercy, he has given us new birth. Oh, I love how ESV, he has caused us to be born again. And I think I learned something about being born again or being part of God's family in this way, especially it's easier these days to explain it. I think back in 99, I know Pastor Ken started what's called Home Church through our denomination, 2000. I started another church called Journey. We were young back then. Oh, man. We didn't know what we were doing, but we planted a church. Dogamsa became what became, you know, what he started Home Church in back in 2000. Um, when I started a church at UCLA, you know, especially we were trying to reach the unreached, and, uh, you know, in our denomination, he sent, they sent us to like assessment center to see if we are qualified, sent us what's called boot camp. We almost died in Colorado, actually, driving to this boot camp training. We got stuck by the first snow of the year on the way to Crested Butte in the Rocky Mountain, two Californian boys driving small compact car, stuck in the mountain because of major snow. We didn't know what to do. We survived. And anyway, but during that preparation for the new church plan, at least my mentor, I don't know about Pastor Ken, my mentor told me, try not to go to church for a while. I mean, you know, that was the church planting, like a preparation phase. I was trying to get ready for church planting, but, but he said, well, if we're trying to reach the un, un, unreached, then try not to go to church for a while. I didn't, I didn't know what that meant because I, I, I can't remember the time where, where, when I wasn't at church on Sunday. I mean, back in Korea, I know from very young, I, I was at church on Sunday because my parents, grandparents took me to church. Uh, maybe some of you are like me. I mean, you probably don't remember the time where you, when you went on. You were sick, you still went to church. You had exam next day, but you still went to church. That was like me. So I had no idea what does that mean not to go to church. I had no idea what people do on Sunday. So my mentor said, okay, just go to UCLA. Just walk around. Go to cafe. You know, go to, go to the park. So, okay, I'll check it out and... I felt really bad not going to church on Sunday because I thought God's going to struck me or, I don't know, lightning or something's going to happen. But, okay, for, for I think six weeks or seven weeks, I didn't go to church. Just really prepared, okay, how do I really prepare this church but unchurch? So went to the coffee shop, West LA, the, you know, the park there, go to the beach. You know, I went to park, coffee shop. Once again, I had no idea. Right? I had no idea what people do on Sunday at like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. What I learned was they looked so happy. <laughs> I mean, that, I had no idea. I went to the park, you know, I had a little, you know, my son was like, you know, really young. And so everyone just walking around, relaxing in their pajamas, just kicking back. Coffee tastes is so good Sunday morning at Starbucks. You know, it's like, I never, why didn't I know this, right? And then to start a church for unchurched in West LA, oh my God, it was tough. I know Pastor Ken struggled a lot. I know how much he struggled. 
you know, I tried to gather people. You know, I, I, I used to do ministry at UCLA, so it was, I thought, no problem, you know, because I had led this campus Bible study. We had like 150, 200 every week coming to Bible study. But on Sunday morning, trying to get people to come to church, especially the ones who are, you know, unfamiliar with church, I learned something about church. And let me tell you this for you guys. Why are you here? Because I think you have no reason to be here because you have better things to do out there, right? You could sleep in. There's a basketball camp, you know, going on. You, know, you could relax. Especially people who come to like 8.30 service. I don't get it. Some people work to like late at night Saturday. Why? You know? But... The fact that people, I'm not saying just because everyone came to church doesn't mean that they are born again. But I have a different view. I think God did cause our heart to be moved. So he led us to a place of worship. I don't think any of us are here just by accident. In fact, God caused for some reason, maybe you've been coming here every Sunday, but still I think God is the one who caused it for a reason. God has invited us to his presence because it's better to be out there, have good lunch, big lunch, and just take a nap, go play golf. Oh man, there's so much to do out there, but the fact that people of God are coming to worship, I really think there's a reason behind it. God caused it. And we're born again, not because of our own effort, but because in his great mercy, we're born into, or born again, have a new birth. I love the next word, into a living hope, right? ESV says living hope, and NIV says he has born Birth, given us new birth into a living hope. Now, I wonder why didn't he say just hope? What is hope and what is living or how is it different? I want to define what this hope is then. I had to look for a dictionary, right? Search it and hope is defined in this way. Hope is a desire for some future thing which we are uncertain of attaining. Okay, we all have hope, right? Hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. It's hope. We have a desire. We want this to happen. You know, my second son is like waiting for his college. You know, he's applied. He's senior. Oh man, I hope he gets a lot of scholarship. I hope. I don't think so, but because I always point at his, uh, you know, the cousin, you know, my, my niece went to UPenn for four years of full scholarship. Usually they don't do that for undergrad, but so I keep telling my Caleb, Caleb, look at Annie, you know what Annie did. But I, I, I have, I don't think if a miracle will happen, you know, just, you know, because I, I know how it works, college, you know. I, but I hope, you know, I hope. It's a desire that, I hope it's time for Lakers to regain the glory again, right? I hope. But, oh man, Milwaukee looks too good. <laughs> oh man, they killed us. Uh, that's a hope that we have. It's a, this is, I mean, if you're single, you hope that you will meet someone, right? If you're looking for a job, you hope. It's a desire for some future thing which we are uncertain of a Obtaining. It may happen, it may not happen. But biblical hope is different. Let me actually, you know, this show is an interesting show. It's, I keep bringing Korean, you know, sorry, my apologies. But there's a the show, a variety show or the real TV show called Jack. Anybody, you've probably never seen it, you know, because uh, they don't play this anymore. I think they stopped it for like five years ago or four years ago. It's like a bachelor or bachelor, you know, so a group of singles meet like, uh, you know, one another, and then they make a couple. Usually there's more guys than girls, so there's like six, seven guys, and 
four or five girls. They, they mismatch it. So it's like they live in this village called Ejongchon, meaning love village, for like a week or 10 days. And they have these cameras following them around, around how they interact, get to know each other. So typically, you know, for like first day, they introduce one another. And then like they are supposed to ask for a date. I mean, they're living together in this village. So they could ask for a date. Hey, you know, I want to go out with you tonight, have dinner with you. So to make it fun, you know, you, like I said, there's mismatch, less girls and guys, right? So the hottest girl usually gets all the requests. But, I mean, you know, to, I mean, they have to be fair, but they don't. You know, so you'll have this for dinner, one lady, you know, surrounded by seven guys. Jashikta, right? So, like, they won't have... And what happened to them, four or, you know, three or four, four other ladies? They should not show, but they follow them around. <laughs> what do they do? Well, they're eating dinner by themselves. And you have this lady, like, eating with seven guys, and then just follow, you know, these girls eating, like, and, you know, girls are trying to, okay, next time I'm going to get, okay, asked. But they open their, you know, box lunch, and then, you know, try to eat, and, they really zoom in, and they really try hard. Nothing's wrong, zoom in, and then you have like. <laughs> uh, the very last episode was not aired, because last episode, the day before the final day, final days when they decide, okay, who likes each other, and they make a cup of. The day before final day, one of the ladies missing. They go, Crazy because usually it's like 40, 50 staff members. They search everywhere. They found her in ladies' bathroom. Uh, she killed herself. The, the day before, the evening of the last day. Uh, so they canceled the show because in Korea, a lot of issues with suicide. Uh, we don't know what happened to her. She was probably in her 30s, she was professional. But we just guess what happened. She probably didn't want to face next day. She came hoping that she will meet someone. Hoping that something good will happen. But it was uncertain. And it was probably agonizing for her for several days. Being in a place she's, asked, she's hoping that she'll be noticed. Others will take some interest but nothing has happened. So her hope didn't happen. So she ended her life. I mean, it's an extreme case. But we know, I mean, we don't know exactly, I mean, not that extreme, but maybe some of us, when you're lonely, when you're so sick, when you get in a relationship, it didn't turn out as you expected. I mean, there's nothing wrong with world's hope. We, we, it's good to dream that my son, I hope that she, he gets full scholarship. I, I can dream. But if it doesn't happen, oh, I get disappointed. I have to pay for it then? <sighs> right? Biblical hope is different. And in fact, Peter defines it in verse 13 of first chapter. He says, hope fully in the grace that is coming to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. New Testament hope is different in a way that it's a full assurance or strong confidence that God is going to do good to us in the future. It's a certainty. It's an assurance. Biblical hope is defined in a way that's a confident expectation of what God has promised and its strength is in his faithfulness. Biblical hope is having full assurance and confidence. Who is Peter writing to? People who are living under fear, uncertainty. But Peter says, for those who are born again, right? Have the new birth. It's a completely we're made new. It's not we're trying to do better, trying to get better. No, we are new in Christ. If you have no certainty of that, if you're not sure of that, 
Oh, maybe you should think about it. And if you're not sure, talk to Pastor Ken. I hope that you are born again. Because in his grace mercy, he has brought you here. And he has given us new birth into a living hope. Praise God. Another person defines quote this way. Hope depends on finding some end to be pursued more extensive than just a mere desire. Oh, I like this. Hope depends on finding some end to be. So in other words, you know the end, right? It's not just now having just instant desire that goes on and off, right? Sometimes we're high, we're low. No, we know the very end. If we don't have this hope, human beings will be functionally incomplete. We're kind of formless monster with neither sense of direction nor power of self-control. Oh, I love that. If we don't have this certainty, right, we're formless monster. Um, neither sense of direction or self-control. Isn't it true? I mean, if we don't know how it's going to end the future, we just live according to our own desires. I've seen this. I mean, happens all the time, but it's a funny thing. I went to Korea for many years. Um, in Korea, you guys know Gangnam Station. You know, we don't do this anymore, but Gangnam is like major metropolitan place. And there's a big mega church where they used to have like early dawn prayer special week. So everyone goes, like 40,000, 50,000 people go to like this early morning dawn prayer meeting near Gangnam-yeok. It's funny because one time I was walking in there for, you know, This is like 5 in the morning, not even 5.30, 5 in the morning, Korea. Gangnam Station, there's like also, not, not anymore, but it's also big nightclub, like, a, you know, it's like, you know, I remember there's a club called NB, and there's like all kind of like big club. You guys been there? Anybody? Right? Uh, so it's funny because in Korea, you have this massive amount of people going to early dawn prayer meeting, and then you have massive amount of people coming out of the nightclub. So you're kind of like, and I, I, you know, it happens here too, but in Korea, like, there's no, like, you know, alcohol served after two in the morning. In fact, it gets, like, crazier after two in the morning. So five in the morning, people coming out, oh, yeah, they're happy, or some are not happy. They're throwing up, and they're, like, laying down, you know, shouting, and, and I, I kind of, I have an image of, wow, you know, it's a formless monster, <laughs> neither sense of direction nor... <laughs> Power, I'm sorry, power of self-control because in Korean saying, let's just drink and let's just die tonight. There's a saying that in Korean. You know what? Let's just drink till we die. Let's party till we die because you don't care about next day. You don't care about future because now is important, right? But I think that's somewhat symbolic. Well, if we don't have this living hope, we have no sense of self-control nor have any power, right? Um, but good news. Paul sharing to this group of people who have lost everything. Check this out, what he says. And into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil. Inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power. God is protecting this. This stuff that won't fade away, spoil, incorruptible. Oh, in many ways, why do you go to work tomorrow? Why? I have to say for stuff that's going to spoil or fade away. I mean, that's why even as a parent, I want my son to really succeed because, well, that's my like, retirement plan, right? Because I want him to, I'm still, you know, in the trading mode, Caleb, you know, I lost my first one. I think he's, my, at least my second one, Caleb, hey, 10% to God, 20% to parents, all right? So it's not working out. But I mean, for, for what? I'm still thinking of the stuff that corruptible. A lot of our anxieties, worries, concerns that we have is really about stuff that's going to fade away. But good news is Peter saying, For all these people who have lost everything, we have living hope. We're new creation, and this inheritance, God is protecting it. 
stuff that's not going to fade away. And verse 6 is what really isn't. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. Now, if you read it really closely, this doesn't make sense grammatically. This is a wrong statement, logically. It should say, in this you greatly rejoice. When the suffering ends, then you can rejoice, right? It doesn't say that. It said, while you rejoice, and you could suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Oh, you can rejoice while you suffer? You can rejoice when you're experiencing grief? You know, we don't know how to explain this to people of no faith. I've done many funerals, and Pastor Ken has done more. It's really, really painful for family. Even when I lost my you know, uh, father-in-law recently, you know, my grandparents, oh, man, it's just so painful to lose loved one. But it's very, it's sad at the same time, this is not the eternal goodbye. Someday, right? Someday, uh, we're going to be together again. It's weird. We can't explain this. Someone who have lost everything, filed the bankruptcy, you come into the presence of God, and you have very little in your bank account, and you, you, you pray, and you know, people say, Oh, God has given us abundance, you know. God is God of abundance. It's going to be okay. So interesting. So this stuff is what it means to be born again. We, we, can't, we can't get this by trying harder. No. We get this by, wow, if we are followers of Christ, we have, yeah, we are born into a living home. Amen. So if we, the blessings of new birth is, yes, Gives us staying power. Also, it puts our present problem in perspective. If you have a problem, let me tell you what's happening. It's, right now, it's a crazy world, huh? Coronavirus. About 38,000 infected. 800 some people dead. I just got a call from like my wife's older sister who lives in Singapore. There's like 43 cases, so she's asking if we can buy like 100 masks and ship it to her because they cannot get this mask in Singapore. Well, I don't know. It's like crazy. I don't know how it's going to end. But only the death rate is only 3%, but that's still big, you know. Uh, well, to give you interesting perspective in history, <laughs> this plague or this virus thing is nothing new. In fact, as I did some more research, wow, early church days. There's a thing called Antonine Plague. Check it out. First century, Antonine Plague. It has killed one-third of Roman Empire. One-third, right? It's probably either smallpox, you know, smallpox or the measles spread through Persia, Middle East, and Egypt, Africa, all over. AD 178, killing 2,000 people a day. Total about 5 million people die. All right? Now, 100 years later, another major plague, Siberian plague. Similar thing, killed thousands and thousands of people. A.D. 578, a thing called Justinian Plague, killing 40 to 50 million people. Can you believe that? Now, the reason why I say this is this. There's a historian called Rodney Stark. Uh, he's a sociologist. He's not even Christian. He writes about this rise of Christianity, at least first three, four hundred years. Okay. And Christianity, he says, grew very slowly, 2-3% per year. But there was a moment where it grew a lot. Guess when? When the plagues were happening. Now, during that time, ancient culture, people who are sick, oh yeah, if you're sick, then you're left to simply die in the streets. 
In fact, they put you out of the, the wall, city wall, right? If you are slave, you're sick, the master will abandon you. If you have a baby that's born with a defect, that's a curse. So this, you just throw the baby away to die simply. So that was a known practice of ancient times. But early church, guess what Christians did? Whether they're Christians or not, Christians were the ones who went outside of the wall, picked up those dying people, or do a proper barrier for people who are dead. Now, Rodney Stark says, especially during those times when these plagues were rampant, Christians went into those places. Even when the illness claimed the life of emperor, and pagans who could offer no explanation, Christians went into those places, one, providing care for the sick and also burying the dead. And those Christians, quote, themselves perished from the illness claimed by these viruses. And they died because they knew the death doesn't end there. But still they took care of the sick. Wow, when I saw that, wow, these people really did believe in this called, called living hope. No wonder Paul says the same thing. We rejoice in the hope of glory of God. Not only, but, but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Amen. Hey, we have another virus called sin. And this thing kills all of us. There's no cure. No one's immune. In fact, you and I, we're dying. We've been infected. There's no cure. In fact, yeah, we are dying, literally. I could see myself dying. I mean, I get more white hair. That's a sign of death each year. Last year was different. I had more black hair. Now I have, well, what is that? It's like, oh, okay, I'm slow. slow. Well, he's two years ahead of me, so Pastor Ken, I, you know, I don't know. But... We're all dying in some way, but some people die quickly. What happened to Kobe? So sad. We're all dying. There's no cure for it. Death will come. Good news is, Jesus Christ, in his love, in his mercy, he went to the cross because of your sin and my sin. And he was resurrected. And Peter says, we have new birth. This is not the end. We know the very end, and it's a new beginning. Amen? So I hope this week, I don't know what will trouble you, but remember, if you're born again, we're born again into a living hope. And may God use us, how God used those early Christians that went into dangerous places because they had hope. May we, may, may we be the light in the darkness. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you once again for this blessings of being born again. We thank you that you have chosen us not because we're good, but because we're so bad and so broken and so unable. We thank you that in your great mercy and grace, you have chosen us we thank you for the living hope that we have because what you have done on the cross, Lord. And use us, help us to cling on to this living hope this week as we go out into the world. In Christ's name we pray.